Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. In the program this week, the Kiwis prepare for their World Cup title defence. Benji Marshall adjusts to life as a blues man, and the first cricket squad of the New Zealand summer is named. We look at what's next for Jock Padgett after his horse test positive for a banned substance, catch up with former Silver Ferns coach Ruth Aitken, and discuss the future of New Zealand football. Five years ago, New Zealand did the unthinkable and upset the world's best rugby league nation, Australia, to claim the World Cup in Brisbane. This weekend, they have the chance to do it again. The Kiwis have had a harder road to the final than their counterparts, beating the home side England 2018 in a close-fought semi-final, while the Kangaroos trounced Fiji 64-0 to reach this weekend's contest. So which team will come out on top at Old Trafford? Morning Report's Simon Mersip spoke to the former coach of the Kiwis, Frank Endicott, and the rugby league writer for the Sydney Morning Herald, Brad Walter, about the game. One would imagine that the Kangaroos would have plenty of uh, incentive to uh, overturn that upset from f- four or five years ago. Yeah, they do, obviously, although the players are saying that the players that were involved in that match are saying that's not a motivation for them and that they just want to win, um, you know, for the fact that they want to win a World Cup. And for a lot of the members of the Australian team, this will be the last chance they will get to win a World Cup. And as there wasn't one between 2000 and, and 2008, uh, no one in this Australian team has actually ever won a World Cup, so it's it's something for uh, you know for the likes of Cameron Smith and Billy Slater and Greg Inglis and Cooper Cronk, Jonathan Thurston, some great players to 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 tick off at something that isn't on their resume at the moment. And if they don't win, uh, Australia doesn't win this match. Um, it's very unlikely that many of those players will get another chance to do so. Uh, so that's that's one factor. But I think also you know they're you know they've been over here for uh, seven weeks now and. The, the tournament's coming to a conclusion and they want to go out and, and, and win at Old Trafford, which is a iconic stadium and there's going to be a big crowd there. Sure. Well, Frank Endicott, obviously the Aussies are not lacking for motivation. What chance do you give the Kiwis? Oh, I give them a good chance, Simon. Uh, you know, they, they, we, there's no doubt about it. We've got the firepower to win. Uh, whether we win's another question. I mean, we've got to do it right on the day. And if we're going to do that, we've got to get one area absolutely cleaned up, and that's our discipline. We're giving far too many uh, cheap penalties away to the opposition, and if we do this to what I still believe, we are the world champions, but I still believe Australia's the best team in the world. So if we give them any ball that they don't have to earn, then we're going to be in trouble. So we've got to get everything right, all the wee things right on the day. Well, it's a lot, a lot of talk that because of that tough semi-final, that somehow may, means the Kiwis are more battle-hardened. Do you put much store in that? Uh, I do. I uh, I always prefer a um, a tough match leading into a final, um, and they certainly got that from England. And, and I think we're, we've got to say we were lucky to win it, uh, but we did win it, and we're in the final. And uh, I know the blokes will be really charged up for this one. Uh, but as I say, um, you know, actually, when you look at the semi-finals, you look at Australia's game winning sixty-four nil. That was more like a glorified training run. But when you look at the way they did it, by gee, they were ruthless. 
and uh, they did all those little one percenters right. Well, actually, uh, Frank, I'd just like to get Brad's uh, view on that. Brad Walter, I mean, what do you make of the build-up to the final for the Kangaroos? Have they had a, a tough enough run-in? Um, no, probably not. The way it's worked is that the Kangaroos had their tough game in, in the opening match against England, which they came from behind to win 28-20, and, and, uh, and that, was a, that was a hard workout for them. Since then, um, they was 32-2 against Fiji was the closest match that they've had. That was in a pool game, and they haven't conceded a try in the last. Uh, well, haven't conceded a try in four matches. So only the England game, they and they haven't conceded a point in the last three. Sorry, is what I, the point I was trying to make. Um, what they have done though, and is they focused on just getting out there um, and and, try, and playing, um, you know, the best football that they possibly can, and really working on their defence. And they've taken great pride in not allowing uh, opposition teams to cross their try line. One player who was heavily involved in the Kiwis' last World Cup triumph but isn't in Manchester this weekend is Benji Marshall. Far from the familiar Kiwis environment, Marshall was getting to know his new teammates at the Blues Super Rugby franchise as they began pre-season training. Marshall told reporters it was a bit like the first day of school all over again. I was really nervous this morning about um, sort of sitting in the team environment for the first time and um, just that first sort of team meeting, I didn't know a lot of people so... It's a bit scary, but yeah, everyone's been awesome. All the boys are good to me and uh, made me feel welcome. Did you have to stand up and say hello, I'm Benji? Yeah, I did. I did and um, had to pass on all the stuff I knew, which was good. Um, tell them my nickname and stuff, so no, I enjoyed it. It's good to be here. Made a few new friends already, I hope? Yeah, um, yeah it's pretty hard at first because, you know, obviously with you know, you're not knowing people, sometimes you can have preconceived ideas about someone and um, you know, I think the boys sort of got a, a gauge of what I'm like. I'm, bit of a joker and like mucking around a bit and um, yeah, I showed them a bit of that this morning. What, uh, what's it been like for you coming back to New Zealand, living in Auckland? you managed to get back into the groove right? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm actually enjoying it. You know, I've, I've been really happy with the transition and I suppose um, you know, I haven't felt this relaxed and happy in a long time, which, is, which has been great. So just to be home back in New Zealand and, and also the chance to see a, a lot more of family has, has been pretty appealing for me and something I've really been enjoying. I was going to ask about your family. Most of them are probably down on the bay. They're probably all Chiefs fans. Are you going to have mm. to do a bit of converting? Well, half of them are Chiefs, half of them are Hurricanes. Um, but now I think all of them are Blues. So unlucky if they want the gears, they've got to go for the Blues. So I'm sure they want some gears. You're talking about those nerves when you first arrived today. Is it still a daunting task ahead you know, with, the, with the transition for you? Oh, it is because it's all unknown. Um, you know, I'm the new guy coming into a sport that I haven't played for over, over you know, 10, 12 years. So um, no one really knows how it's going to go yet. Um, I can only guess and hope that it goes great, but I'll give myself every chance by training as hard as I can. Have you been looking into the books a wee bit, studying around a wee bit while you've been home? Yeah, I have, I have. I mean, I've watched a lot of games. Um, I watched the Blues' first five games last year, and not only give me a good chance to see it how we play, but you know, get to know the players from a playing point of view as well. And I, I think I got a good gauge of a lot of the players from watching videos. Since you said um, that pre-season you haven't had a full one for a few years, um, looking forward yeah. to having those extra weeks. Well, I, I, I am because um, you know, it's been five years since I've had a good break mentally. And like I said, with the mental side of, of professional sport, you need that break. And with the Kiwis and with um, the Tigers, I never sort of got much of a break. So to have the last six weeks of just doing nothing and resting and Resting mentally more than anything, it's been so good, refreshing, and like I said, just great to be home. You're obviously watch, um, in union mode at the moment. Uh, are you going to watch the Kiwis? Of course, yeah, I am. Um, you know, I had a bit of a heart attack on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, with the game on the line at the end there. Those are the moments that you play sport for, and you know, Sean Johnson just took it with both hands and just carved them up, which was great. Um, you know, I think definitely think we're a big chance this week, and 
you know, because the conditions there, I think it suits us better than them. You may put up as well, uh, Sonny Hill, player of the year, just uh, kept them out a so ago. Yeah. yeah, he deserved it, I think. He's probably the most intimidating player um, to play against and, and deserved that the way he sort of first year back in the league, guided the Roosters to a title and for what he's done for the Kiwis as well. Um, I think he's our key to winning the World Cup. We all sort of take it for granted a bit now that he swaps between Union and League and plays so well and stars in oh, I think just expectation amongst um, you know fans is because everyone wanted to see him back in rugby so much, they just get so, you know, take it to heart so much that he's not coming back. Whereas for Sonny, I think it's a decision he made upon what he thought was best for himself. So he's probably the best athlete I've seen and, and, and been around in my time. And, um, you know, good luck to him. Hopefully he comes back to rugby. But for now, hope he wins the World Cup. What must they do on Sunday morning to win? Yeah, I think the middle's a big key. I think if we uh, control the play the ball speed and not give their house as much opportunities, and if we get quick play the balls, guys like Isaac Luke, who I think's probably been player of the tournament so far, will take advantage of that. And we've got Sean Sunny on the back of that. Be good. There's a bit of you still wishing that you were. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's. I, I still wanted to be there, no doubt. It's, it was a sad and big decision to make to not be there, but um, you know, full credit to the boys. They're going hard, and they look like they've played together forever. So. I hope they win it, um, especially for those young guys. And, and you know, I can still say I'm the current holder of the World Cup for now, but hopefully I can't say that come Sunday. The first New Zealand cricket team of the domestic summers been named to take on the West Indies in a test series starting next week. The batsman Kane Williamson is expected to be fit for the first test after coming back from injury, while Aaron Redmond has been brought into the squad after five years out of the national side. The National Selection Manager, Bruce Edgar, spoke to Ben Robinson and says they're confident Williamson will be ready to play in Dunedin. Kane's recovered quicker than first thought and uh, certainly been bowling a lot and uh, resumed batting at a quite intense level. So the biggest worry for Kane is probably fielding. So I think that uh, next couple of days we'll see through all that and uh, know whether he's going to be fit or not. But will he be match fit? Has he been playing any cricket? Oh, he's been training very hard. Uh, not so much in matches, but certainly um, preparing in the nets and, and working hard there in game scenarios and you know getting that intensity level up for Test cricket. Whilst it's not match practice, Kane can draw on um, you know strong resources and the fact that he's played a lot of cricket in the last sort of month or two anyway. Okay, so you've brought Aaron Redmond into the squad just in case Kane doesn't make the first test. What's the thinking behind Aaron's selection? Aaron's a top-order player, got a very good game plan. Um, It's very suitable towards test cricket. And uh, if Kane is not fit, we believe Aaron will be a good substitute. He's been a few years out of the test team, Aaron Redmond. 2008, wasn't it, his last appearance. Are you confident that, that he can make a successful return to the side? Absolutely. Uh, Aaron's uh, had a good couple of seasons, um, scored a lot of runs and uh, and he started the season very well indeed, scoring 150 in his first match. So he's in good form, good shape and uh, looks the goods at the moment. I guess he's come into the side at the expense of Dean Brownlee. Why have you left out Dean? Uh, we were really looking for a, a number three cover, and we believe that Aaron can do that probably better than Dean at this stage. Dean hasn't really batted at three. Um, he's he's working at number three this year, hasn't really shown a lot of form there. He's certainly around four and five, um, and those those spots are covered. But uh, 
we're just like Dean to get out there and score a few more runs in first-class cricket this season. OK, now if Shodi comes into the, the team ahead of of Bruce Martin, what is it you like about Ish Shodi? Uh, Ish actually bowled uh, in difficult conditions in Bangladesh and, and bowled well. Um, Bruce was a little bit off the pace there in terms of his uh, consistency and uh, Ish has got the edge over Bruce at the moment. Certainly we just like Bruce to get back and uh, bowl a few more overs in first-class cricket get a few wickets and get his confidence back. I've got to ask you about a couple of players not on the team, um, Jesse Ryder and, and, and Martin Guptill. Where are those two at? Uh, Jesse Ryder's injured at the moment as well. He was supposed to be playing in the New Zealand 11 match but had to pull out through injury, uh, finger injury. And also um, Martin Guptill, yes, he's definitely in our... ODI T20 reckoning, um, but we'd like him to score a few more runs in first-class cricket. So do you think, will, will Jesse Ryder be called upon to play against the West Indies at all? Um, in terms of Jesse being available, uh, he's certainly got an injury at the moment. It's it's step-by-step step with Jesse. He's come off a pretty serious injury, and uh, you just want to make sure that he's comfortable wanting to play at that level. He's um, obviously played well for Otago, and uh, we just need to make sure that he feels ready and wanting to be able to do it. OK, now some injury concerns about Brendan McCullum as well. Is, is he likely to be able to get through the whole series, do you think? I'd like to think so. Um, just watching him here in Christchurch at the moment, um, he batted in the first innings, 30 balls, um, batted well. And he's batting again now. He moves quite freely in the field. So, yeah, look, um, we're very hopeful for Brendan to get through this. And uh, hopefully he manages the process well and gets through the series OK. And finally, the West Indies. No Chris Gale and a couple of their spin bowlers under scrutiny at the moment. Are they a credible opposition? Absolutely. Never take anyone lightly and... The biggest risk that anyone has is to get ahead of themselves and think that they've got an edge over anyone. You know, it's, it's a simple thing. You know, hard work, do the simple things well and, you know, focus on, on the process and hopefully at the end of it you've got ahead of the opposition. So definitely never underestimate uh, the West Indies. That's Ben Robinson speaking to Bruce Edgar. The International Equestrian Federations confirmed that the B blood sample taken from Clifton Promise, written by the New Zealander Jock Paget at the Burley International Horse Trials, has tested positive for the banned substance recipine. Clifton Promise, owned by Francis Steed, was ridden to victory at the event by Paget in early September. Paget is now required to submit written documentation to the Federation explaining the presence of the banned substance in the horse's bloodstream. Morning Report's Jeff Robinson spoke to the Chief Executive of Equestrian Sports New Zealand, Jim Ellis, who says the results didn't come as a surprise. Uh, the two blood samples are taken from the horse at the same time, um, and, they're, and they're tested in different but highly accredited laboratories, um, so it would always be a, a surprise if they produced different results. So, so what's next in the process? 
Um, the, the process now is that is that Jock has to provide uh, evidence to the FEI, um, which will subsequently be considered at a tribunal hearing, explaining um, not only how the banned substance has has come to be present in the horse's bloodstream, um, but also explaining, um, you know, sort of that, that, that there's no that there's no negligence involved or or anything like that. You're confident that he will be able to give a full explanation that will satisfy them. Yes, I am. I mean, I can't. Um, I mean, certainly the the, the, the process is, is difficult, and the and the tariff of suspensions is reasonably high. But certainly, I think that we have uh, great confidence that Jock can can provide a, a very plausible and uh, substantive case to the FEI, including an explanation of how the drug got there. That's right. Yes. So, in the meantime, he's not allowed to compete. What else is he restricted from doing? Uh, he has, a, as you say, he has a provisional suspension. Um, it's the European off-season anyway, um, so that's that's less problematic at this moment for Jock. Um, but under the terms of um, our own organisation's clean sport policy and the FEI's clean sport policy, he's he's uh, barred from any official activity under either organisation. Is he in this country at the moment? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. And I, I, I should say that Jock is, is, is very supportive of the, of the position of this organisation and of um, the FEI Clean Sport Programme, so he's, um, he's very understanding of the situation that he's in. Is there any investigation of, of, of the stables where the horse was? Um, no, I think I, I think that the um, the case has certainly moved on from some of those those comments that might have been made in the heat of the moment at the time of the A sample. Um, so there's so, so there's no concern around around that side of things. Right. So it's, it's one horse and two samples, and that's what he's got to explain. Exactly. Yes, and that, that process uh, will happen over the over the coming weeks, and will undoubtedly run into the new year. She's led New Zealand to World Championship and Commonwealth Games titles, but the former Silver Ferns coach, Ruth Aitken, is taking on a different challenge. Aitken's been at the helm of Singapore's national netball team since July. Bridget Tunnicliffe spoke to her and asked how she's found the change. Quite challenging. It was quite warm, as you can imagine. Um, so coming out of New Zealand winter into the um, heat of Singapore, yes, was very, very challenging. I appreciated the air conditioning when it was on. Um, and just getting my head around um, different names and uh, strengths of players, it was, it was quite busy, but it's, it's all going really well. How well is Netball in Singapore resourced? Actually, we, we're very lucky in that we've got really good support from the Singapore Sports Council and um, Netball Singapore itself is a very organised um, and professionally run organisation and so they've got some great sponsorship too from Mission Foods um, and a number of other sponsors in Singapore. So they were incredibly successful in running the World Championships in 2011 and yeah, they're, they're really well run so I'm, I'm very lucky in that respect. Um, where does netball fit in terms of um, female sports in Singapore? Is it up there in terms of you know participation rates? Yes, yes, it certainly is. It's um, netball's actually played in over 330 schools in Singapore, um, and I think is the, I think it is the the most participants in, in the female um, sport category. But um, as a whole, sport in, in Singapore is probably not ranked where it is in, in New Zealand and Australia, for example. So um, the the profile is quite different to um, to that in, in you know down under. Mm. And what's what are the main challenges to raising the ranking of Singapore? 
I think the, the, the challenge for the group at the moment is that they're all um, either full-time students or um, working full-time. So all of the training, um, and especially with the, the travel, uh, the challenges of travel and public transport around Singapore, a lot of, a lot of our players don't have um, vehicles, so they actually get on the MRT and the bus to get to training from 7.30 till 9 and then 9.30 and then get back on the bus and the MRT to go home and, and get back to work the next day. So the, the challenges of having quality time with the, with the squad is, yeah, is, is pretty hard. But the commitment level, I'd have to say, is outstanding. So, you know, that, that it's, we're in the sort of the, the pre-professional um, times, whether or not um, Singapore itself can sustain a a professional team is, is quite another question. So so we just have to, to juggle, really. Um, but the great thing is that the girls are, you know, they're really uh, focused and committed and they, they do make a big, really big commitment to, to play for Singapore. Mm. And obviously Singapore, they're ranked about 21st in the world. So I That's guess right. your goals as a coach must be quite different to when you lead the Silver Ferns who are either first or pushing first. Yes, yes, it is. But the well, the aim's probably all still the same in terms of improvement. Um, and you know, I think whether you you are number one, you still know that you have to improve to stay number one. Because as soon as you um, as soon as you stop moving forward, someone else will catch up. So I'm still doing the same things that I've always done as a coach: assess what the group needs and really try and put a program together to to take them to the next level. Where that level ends up is still remains to be seen. But um, you know, this we're here in the Cook Islands, and we've got our first opportunity to have to meet some international competition. So that's really exciting. Overall, overall, when you see the Nepal teams from Asia, the players do have slighter builds than players from other teams. Yeah. Is that a barrier yeah. when that they compete against the, the bigger players? Yeah, look, I think it is a real challenge for us because, um, yes, as a, as a nation, um, you know, Singapore are a lot lighter and finer, um, and so. Um, there's, there's certainly a, been a push to, to try and um, develop the talented um, taller players and, and you know, that, that has improved over the years, but we've certainly not got, um, uh, you know, the, the six foot two, the, those sort of sized girls, so that's, that is hard. Um, so we just have to really work hard on our team defence at this stage, trying to break things down, you know, before it gets to the giants and the jumping competition at the back. Um, and... You know, that's, that, yeah, that is what it is, really. Mm. Um, and just in terms of raw talent, do are you finding that the top players in Singapore, do they have the same sort of instinct for the game as what the, the New Zealand players yeah. do? Yeah, they definitely do. They, um, is, you know, some of the players in the squad particularly um, read things really well, and I've been really impressed with um, yeah, the way they view the game, their skill level, um, and their instincts really. So, it's still very exciting and very challenging um, coaching um, this group. And you know, I, I find that it, it really does extend me still. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a good change. Okay, and did you follow the Silver Fern season? Yes, I did. Um, unfortunately, we don't get any uh, footage in it, even online. You can't can't quite access it. So it was all through the um, the media and the um, the sort of the uh, the blogs that come out. Um, and I know they certainly had a bit of an upside up and down time. Um, uh, my heart went out for them because I know that they would not be happy, 
you know, losing those four games in a row, but there are a number of players to come back in for next year, and I know that it'll make sure that over the summer they'll work even harder to ensure next year's successful, and I have every confidence in them. I guess nothing has changed and that the quest to be better than Australia is always at the forefront. Do you, do you miss that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yes, I do. I mean, it's certainly, you know, when you're there for 10 years, you know um, uh, you know how special those uh, those occasions are. Um, and, and every time, you know, in the preparations to the test, I'm really my, you know, my antennas up in terms of looking at online to see what I can can read and glean um, about how the girls are going in their preparation um, and I always enjoy reading wise comments as you can imagine um, but um, you know it's yeah it was a time in my life that was very important but it's time to move forward and um, and so yeah there's different challenges now. That's Ruth Aitken speaking to Bridget Tunnicliffe. The Asian and Oceania Football Confederations have opened discussions about combining World Cup slots to improve their qualification chances at future tournaments. Both regions suffered heavy defeats in the intercontinental playoffs for the 2014 World Cup last week, with the All Whites thrashed 9 3 over two legs by Mexico, while the AFC's Jordan were beaten 5 0 on aggregate by Uruguay. The former all-white Tim Brown told Richard Wayne it's imperative New Zealand joins the Asian Confederation for the final round of World Cup qualification next time. Probably gone backwards a little bit from 2010 in terms of people's excitement around the game and, and feeling that we were really moving forward and I think that's something that needs to be looked at. And I think ultimately the Asian question and how quickly and how positively we can engage with football in that region I think is the central question and I think for me it's the only thing that needs to happen next. I think, with all due respect to the island nations, it's not going to push us on commercially, it's not going to improve our football, and it doesn't give us enough meaningful games. And I think we have to work out how we can play in Asia as soon as we can, because it's, it's the next frontier for us. And the thing is, if we do that, it's going to improve everything administratively, it's going to force us as players to get better, it's going to give more games, and probably generate greater media interest, and a whole lot of really good things are going to come from that. On that, like I've heard a suggestion that perhaps uh, the NZ football, you know, the All Whites should come in somewhere in the Asian qualification process, not in the first round, you know. So we play in Oceania, then we jump into Asia. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because I actually I had to do a thesis at my master's at the London School of Economics, and I actually did it on Australia's journey into Asia. So, well, mate, only my mum's read it. But the fact is, I know a fair bit about it, and I think uh, having had my head in that space and looked into it in quite quite a lot of detail. That finals is, is the really interesting thing. Quite straight up, we couldn't afford to go completely into Asia because you have to support all these age group teams and women's teams. But the senior flagship All Whites, as the champion of Oceania, should go into that, that, that final round in, in the AFC. And I think that's something that could happen if we got organised and got our act together and got the support of Oceania because it'd be home and away against the, you know, the, the nine other best teams in Asia. It'd give us revenue opportunities, sponsorship, a whole number of games. And if we're good enough, we'll get through that. Um, and I think with the kind of players we're producing, we'll get through that. I mean, I don't know the exact figure, but if the New Zealand government's willing to invest $36 million in the Americans' Cup, and I think that's fantastic, because I'm sure that paid off, having just kind of looked into this intersection of sport and business, I'm sure that paid off with boat builders and tourism and all this sort of different stuff. I'm sure it was probably a bargain. Um, then they can commit, if, you, if we as a game get our act together, to this Asian transition. They have to, because all of a sudden, you know, we're going to be playing football more regularly uh, against the the nations that we now trade with in Asia, and it's, it's a no-brainer, you know? They're buying our meat, they're buying our dairy products, 
let's play football against them and speed that process up and, and get to know them in the process. It's, it's a win-win, mate. I think we need to look at this. This is, I mean, this is, this is a, a kind of a crisis point for the game at the moment. You know, we've just missed out on World Cup qualifying. We've got, we're very fortunately through that TV rights of that Mexico game got a whole chunk of money. Let's sit back and some really smart people and some really, you know, clued up people and, and have a big independent look at the game. I think that's what's got to happen. So much at stake. There's so much potential. And I just think we need, we need to really, really, we're at a low point now. And we need to be really, really careful about how we kind of look at this. That's Richard Wayne talking to Tim Brown. Finally this week, Extra Time would like to congratulate our colleague Gary Ahern, who was honoured by the New Zealand Sports Journalists Association this week. The Morning Report sports presenter received the Lifetime Achievement Award at a ceremony in Auckland on Thursday night. Gary Ahern has been in the role at Radio New Zealand since 97. At the awards ceremony, he was described as the consummate broadcasting journalist who asks the right questions, gets the information and presents it knowledgeably and in an entertaining fashion. That's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves and we'll be back with more extra time next week. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.